Hello, my name is Dave Burrows and welcome to episode 11 of the Ski Instructor Podcast. Um, I don't think there's anyone that we've interviewed yet who has or could be said to have had such a uh, large ski school as today's interview, which is Jonathan Ballou, uh, who's the Managing Director of the Ski and Snowboard School's Aspen Ski uh, Aspen Skiing Company. Um Aspen Skiing Company has around, I think John says in the interview, about 1,250 on-snow ski instructors, which is uh, which is pretty serious enterprise to manage across, I think it's four different four different mountains. Um, and we had a great chat um, about that. Now, I should warn you, John's an extremely busy man. I managed to catch him in between... Um, in between meetings uh and so the first maybe 10 minutes of the interview are from his car so the sound isn't amazing um but if you stick with it um as soon as he gets out of the car and back into his office uh, the, the the sound quality goes goes okay so um so yeah just persist with this one a little bit um now I wanted to interview John for some time, but uh, but um, you know just to find out the sheer scale of his operation and and, and what he's got going on there. Um, I only managed to grab about forty five minutes with him, and I'd like to do a follow up because I think he's got a lot to say about um, uh, the technical side of skiing. That's for sure. Um, but I think you'll find a lot of cool stuff in this one. So um, enjoy the first half. We talk uh, we talk mainly about uh, about the ski school and and then on you know touching on some skiing. Um, uh, so the topic of, of, of teaching and uh, and and then I'll see you uh, somewhere in the middle okay enjoy all right uh, welcome to the ski instructor podcast uh, John Ballou how are you Thanks for having me on. Oh, well, that's all right. Thank you, and thank you for making the time. Um, for for those of our listeners that don't know, um, John's an extremely busy guy and uh, in and out of meetings all the time. So, uh, so you know, it's 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 great that we managed to grab you. Um, that's terrific. And and while I was waiting for you, while I was wait, <laughs> waiting for you to connect, I'm looking in the background at uh, I guess every skier's favorite movie. Aspen Extreme, and I'm sitting there. Uh, <laughs> I can't help but ask you that, right? I can't. I, you know, it's it's part of the furniture. <laughs> now, the only thing that I wanted to mention about it, apart from it being my favourite film, is that I always identify more with the Dexter character than the TJ character. I always like. Well, I, I, in my office, I have the uh, Mount Brighton lift maintenance hat. Ah, oh, no, you're joking. I would kill for one of those. Well, I, I, used to, I used to work at Mount Brighton. That's where my first uh, teaching job was. Oh, my God. Really? What a coincidence. And I got there on and off from 1990 to 1996. Ah, oh, that's amazing. If, through, if high school, through high school and the little bit of university that I did. Uh-huh. Well, if, if, if I didn't have... Um, if I didn't have... Uh, if I didn't have a strict helmet policy in my ski school, I would be I would be rocking the, the, the backwards baseball cap and goggles look... Got to be honest. Yeah, uh, same, same. We have the same policy, so uh, you know we can't do that. But I do, I do like it. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, you're the so you're. Uh, give me a potted history. You, how did you end up being the big boss of Aspen Ski School? And well, actually, I'm pretty short. I'm five foot eight. And I, I don't weigh that much, like 155 pounds. So I'm not big at all. Um, how did I end up totally by accident? Um, 
some people would argue that, but it was a completely not complete accident. Um, all I really ever wanted to do when I was a kid, uh, through at least high school, is I wanted to teach again. Um, and uh, people kept kicking me upwards, so I ended up here. Um, it's yeah, I I I started you know, in 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 junior high, and then um, uh, periodically I taught through junior high, high school, and college. And then um, when I was 20, I decided um, finishing a music degree didn't make a lot of sense. So I take a, especially going to debt for a music degree and spending money on it, didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. I didn't really, I wasn't sure what I'd do with that. So um, other than perform, and if I was going to perform, I didn't need the degree to do it. So I figured I'd take a couple of years off and finish my, 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 my qualifications that go to level two level one or level two certified instructor at that point figured I'll finish up through my full certification um, and see where that goes but then in meanwhile I'll get residency in Colorado and, and figure out what I actually want to study um, and then it was, a, it was a pretty long year off uh, I finished qualifications then started teaching in New Zealand and, and, and the US and then um, uh, when I was 23 so I, my, I was in steamboat from 20 to 23 and when I was 23, I decided, all right, I, I, Steamboat's wonderful, I love this place, but I want to go try something else, and I was going to go to Austria, was my plan. Go to Austria, spend a year learning German, uh, teaching the Oberschule, and then uh, I, I try to get into the uh, the Bundesportheim and take the, you know, the entry exam to the Stradlich test uh, to get into that program. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I got recruited by Aspen, I came and took a look, and a guy named Julian Gregory, who was the Snowmass manager, general manager at the time, recruited me, and I said, okay, let's take a look at Aspen. Let's take a look at Aspen. I skied around here for a couple days, checked it out, and said, you know, this has got the training I'm looking for. It's got great terrain. It's got great clientele. Um, I'll, I'll try this for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And 21 years later, I'm still here. Just, <laughs> still here. Can't get rid of you. Yeah, not really. Um, not, not so long as they keep giving me cooler jobs. The... Um, uh, I, you know, not just teaching skiing. Well, I've always had a strong passion for um, for teaching skiing and, and introducing introducing um, skiers to the sport, or developing their love and ability in the sport. Which I should say, developing their love for the sport and the environment through developing their ability. And that's what I've really been about. Um, yeah. I've been a, people who know me would agree with this. I'm a, kind of a techno geek as far as skiing goes. I, I'm really into gear and and mechanics of skiing and and um, kind of the hard fun associated with real skill development, um, which naturally leads you to, to an affinity for training. So my pathway in there was, uh, uh, as, a, as a pro, as a teaching pro instructor, was, was to develop a training skill set and training qualifications. So that pushed me into, in 2002, um, I got the opportunity to run the training program for the Buttermilk Ski School um, as a lead trainer there, and then uh, became an examiner shortly thereafter in both New Zealand and the U.S. sort of working in training programs on both sides, and then um, when I was uh, uh, 20, 30, 31, I guess 30, 31 or 32, 31. Thank you. Um, I I had the opportunity to become the the Alpine Chair. Um, at the time, it was called Alpine Chair and Chief Examiner. Those were the two roles that were combined. Uh, some countries call it a technical director, but it, it, we called it Alpine Chair and Tech and, and Chief Examiner. Now it's just called Alpine Chair. Um, so the 
chairperson for the Alpine Committee for PSI Rocky Mountain, which is the region that passed it, and that section is one of eight, one of, one of eight divisions um, okay. in, 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 the, in, in PSI. Mm-hmm. So I got into leadership in, in snow sports training from that, and um, I, I did that uh, for a few years, uh, 11. Um, I just actually just retired from that in May. But because of that, and I also ended up taking a very similar role as education coordinator for, 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 for the New Zealand Ski Instructors Alliance in 2010, that gave me um, quite a bit of insight into training and curriculum design and training on a large scale and uh, creating training programs for lots of different directions and program management. And uh, in Aspen, I, at the same time, I kind of started acquiring more responsibility within training. I was still a working pro, but in 2011, um, the the company Aspen, we decided to to uh, the, the training, the role of training manager slash training director, uh, uh, came uh, it came up. So, given the things I was doing around the world, it made sense to to apply for that, and that that was successful. So, I did that. And then, kind of through a few years of that, um, and my relationship with uh, with the management team here, um, I started to recognize some things that uh, some skill sets that I hadn't used in a while. And I, I have a background in food and beverage management, so the idea of P and L management and systems uh, for operational processes makes sense to me. I just haven't really applied that to, to management within the snow sports industry. Um, so I ended up. Uh, Started to get dig into the business here and, and um, uh, worked very closely with my boss now and predecessor in this role, Katie Ertles, who's the vice president of uh, senior vice president of mountain operations now, mm-hmm. formerly the managing director of the ski and snowboard schools. Okay. Uh, we worked on developing our managerial structures and processes, uh, managerial development, and that sort of led me into director of operations, and then that led me into managing director. So that's the long story of okay. how I ended up. Well, what's what I really, really like is when we speak to people stateside, is that they're really, really good. And my, my, this happened to my friend Nick, who was a dive instructor. He ended up working sort of in the Caribbean with lots of American clients. And people become really, really good when they go stateside of kind of uh, giving giving you like all of the information that you need to know about themselves. Um, and it's like I think it's a cultural thing because us kind of uh, us English folk, we're kind of. We're not we're not quite as quick. You it would take a long time to get all of that information out of me. That's for sure. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's just a, a cultural difference, I guess. I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm not surprised that you're um, you're a musician. There are a surprising number of ski instructors that are musical people. Have you noticed that? Oh yeah, there, there's a lot of parallels there. They're solitary. They're individual. They're also collaborative. But you you. It's a, it's a, like, like skiing or snowboarding, like snow sports, um, or any sport for that matter, um, non-team sport particularly, skill development is, uh, is infinite, an endless path, and that's the same with musical development. You can practice fundamentals and basics uh, until you're dead, you'll never be perfect at them. It's just, there is no end to development based on very simple principles. Mm-hmm. So, there's... There's a great parallel between, uh, in, in, in how we acquire skills between those areas and why people who are drawn to skill acquisition would be drawn to both sides. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. It's only something I've noticed, but clearly you've, uh, you've reflected on that more than I have. Um, okay, cool. Now, how big is the Aspen Ski School? I'd heard 1,500 instructors. 
but I, I can't believe that's real. No, 1,300 instructors is an exaggeration. Um, there's about 1,250 instructors, oh, uh, no. which we call pros. That's still uh, a lot. 1, the total staff is between 14 and 1,500, and that includes like childcare, um, daycare centers, uh, support staff, sales and reservationists, um, uh, non so management. Uh, uh, we have in, in our in our two main children's centers, we have rental shops that have our rental areas that have techs that also run our uh, our 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 our, our, our children specific learner slopes. Uh, we have support staff that to handle you know maintenance of kids tree trails and signage and sales and marketing and finance. You know these are all you put it all together. It's between fourteen and fifteen hundred. The support staff is pretty constant, but the 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 um, uh, the, 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 the pro body, the instructor body, fluctuates a bit. I, this year, I anticipate in the mid twelve hundreds. That's incredible. So I have enough trouble managing my ski school to ten guys. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> you, just need more, you just need more people to do it. Yeah, I can imagine so. So, so <laughs> more people, more systems. So, so if I had to manage ten people. If I had to manage ten people myself, yeah, I'd have trouble doing. It. I, no, I like, manage like in our, in our structure. I've, I've got I've got seven people that report to me. Okay, and so so that's and, how you break it down. I, yeah, so it gets broken into pods, right? Um, it's a big, it's a big, big organization, medium-sized organization with a with a significant structure. Now we do run pretty lean for the for the fourteen hundred to fifteen hundred people we've got. I've got a management team of fifty six, fifty five, something like okay. that. Um, so it's not it's not a it's not a lot of people to manage this group, but um, it's uh, we we do have a structure in place to do it. So um, okay. we yeah. all focus on slightly different things. Yeah, yeah, I can well imagine. So you've got kind of certain res- re- reporting structures to manage twelve hundred ski ski instructor egos is going to be uh, is a job that you wouldn't want to be oh, doing. We don't, manage, sure. we don't manage the egos. Egos are good. You just leave those alone. <laughs> and how much roughly like? So you've got twelve hundred staff on the hill. Let's say they're, they're they're all ski instructors. Those guys, like, how many yeah. hours roughly are they getting through a season? If there was an average, well, we have different levels of commitment, like many schools do. Okay, um, our 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 most full time, um, our full time crew is required to have a minimum of three hundred and sixty hours of teaching. Okay, um, and. That would be that would be on the very low side of full time, and a little over half of our people are full time. So you know, like um, the uh, the most full time people are going to get more like um, oh, let's see, what did I used to do? Our most our most hours worked in a season. Somebody always gets over eight hundred. No, right around eight hundred hours. That's big. Okay. Um, I used to do my biggest year as a pro was seven hundred ninety two. <laughs> um, but I would kind of look at 600, 650 and that range is pretty normal. Okay. Now that's still on the high end. Uh, but our full-time people are between, you know, it's not uncommon to be, um, high fours, mid five hundreds. Mm-hmm. That's okay. pretty normal. Um, if you're there, if you're there full time, you'll figure that out. All right. And that's the full-time crew. And there's, that's about half of your, half of your staff yeah, yeah. and the rest and are kind of what we call is a is hundred hours. That's, that's the spare minimum is a yeah. hundred hours. So the other guys, they're sort of auxiliaries and they come and go during super high season or uh, yeah. whatever. Depending on what they what they want to do with their business and how they build it, right? Right. Okay. Okay. Cool. We have a strong culture of independent business development. So a lot of the work here is, you know, 
75% of its requests private here. Oh, really? So people are just building up their own clientele? There's group lessons also, but in our private lessons, over 75% of it for the companies is requests, 76 or 77%. So people really do develop the business they want to develop. And then we have a significant group business as well. Yeah, yeah. That's a, I mean, that's a pretty, pretty serious operation that's going on there, right? I had no idea that that many people were coming. Um, That's extraordinary. Really, really extraordinary. Yeah, it's definitely one of the places in the world you can come to be a uh, a full time professional pro. Meaning, this is what you do for a living. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it's enough probably to see you see you living year round, I guess. Um, uh, close, yeah. Most people. I mean, there are people. I mean, lots of people who are doing a considerable number of hours who would um, uh, then go spend their summer on the beach in Bali. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They made enough to make it work. Uh, myself, I would. Um, go take a lesser paying job. Like when I was teaching full time, mm. I'd go to New Zealand. And New Zealand is an amazing place to teach. Absolutely love it, but you're not going to make a huge living there. You're going to do better than break even. Yeah. You'll, you'll, do, you'll do all right yeah. if you spend some time doing it. But it's, uh, that was not my income. That okay. was my sustained me in the off season while my income and my savings was my teaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. Um, I wanted to quickly move on from, from that to the subject of teaching i listened to a podcast yes. uh, that you recent or you did back in i can't remember what it was with the psia a while back and you said that everyone always asks you about technical stuff and i'm deliberately kind of leaving that alone i may leave it you know if we've got time we'll touch on it later but no one talks to you about teaching and i think that's Great. quite it's quite interesting i don't think there's enough, enough focus on on podcasts and, and general media about teaching in our industry well, of course not no no, you That's know, the it nature was, of the business, though, right? Well, um, how many people? Very few of us at the top end mm. got into the industry because I really want to teach. I think what it's something. It is. Yeah, it's something I, mean, you I know find why, out. I know why I got into teaching skiing. Yeah, because you want to ski. I wanted for cheap gear or free gear. I was fourteen, by the way, but yeah. I wanted cheap gear or free gear. I wanted a free pass. I wanted to ski all the time, and I wanted to meet girls. Yeah. In that list, and maybe the girls' thing might have been much higher on the list, but the is <laughs> it fourteen, right? <laughs> but but also probably very misguided. Um, on that list, I really want to teach beginners how to ski. Didn't really hit that. That was something that developed uh, the love for teaching developed through doing it, not mm. as the original motivator. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, th- I, didn't, I think I didn't discover is what most people really got into it for yeah. to begin with, right? Some version of that where. Teaching is something you want to do, or you you have to, you have an affinity for it in some manner. But the primary motivator mm. is um, is the sport. I mean, re, if we just think about logically, if you were to say that teaching were the primary motivator, mm. what you'd end up doing is you'd go be a teacher. You wouldn't do something that you can only do four to five months a year mm. if your main goal is to teach. Your goal is to teach skiing mm. or snowboarding. Therefore. The, the context is more important than the actual act of teaching. Mm, mm. No, I think it's really valid. I mean, I I didn't really realize my love of the teaching aspect to it until I'd started doing it. I, just, I like you, I was thinking, oh yeah, you know, yeah, ski all winter would be brilliant. Um, but actually, the, the the teaching thing came a little bit after. It didn't take very long. But you think, oh, yeah, actually, this yeah. is a really cool thing. You know, really, really. Yeah, cool. I'd say that that's the people who get great at this industry. I mean, really great. Um, some of them start with the love of teaching and they move into the skiing part of it or snowboarding part of it. Mm. But the majority, I would say, and this isn't, this is just because of the people, you know, majority, they develop the equal love, if not the greater love for passing the information on. Yeah. But the information they gain through 
the practice and development of their skill set um, is is always central to their uh, to their to their motivation. Mm-hmm. No, I hear that. Just look at the amount of time our top people in the industry spend practicing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The what I wanted to one of the other bubbles that I've got here is that, that were you into ski? Um, I was. You you were. I was I was at the last two for the US. Okay, all right. Because what I really wanted to talk to, to to somebody about was was the threads of what's interesting in teaching that came out of Interski or indeed your New Zealand winter. Because I know that's a bit of a, a melting pot of a lot of top skiers. Um, mm-hmm. What have you What have you come across in teaching lately that's uh, that's been quite interesting to you? With different ideas. Well. Really, the most interesting to me is, okay, first of all, it's not methodological. Um, the, the, the groups that I think are putting out their, their new breakthroughs and methodological versions and methodology aren't really doing anything new. No. Um, I don't find that very interesting. So at what point a wedge happens, something technical or saying we're going to make a shift to a different type of progression or some element of st- instructor behavior and how they set goals, it's it's – it's nothing new. Um, the stuff that I find really interesting is the move away from methodological and mechanical teaching to humanistic teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be that you go to Interski and you see, okay, this country's doing it this way and that country's doing it that way. And it was about the, the true difference of how they skied, what they did and, and how they're, 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 how they built a skier. Mm-hmm. And we're realizing that doesn't really matter. Mm. Um, some people will will kill me for this <laughs> for saying that, but that that doesn't as a as a major ski school as director of a major ski school that doesn't really matter. You know what 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 really matters is the person we teach, we spend time with, and the relationship we build. Mm. Um, as one of my mentors, Weems Westfeld, um, a member of uh, uh, an earlier PSI interski team, um, said. Uh, despite the best efforts of ski instructors, uh, students will learn to ski simply by going skiing. Yeah, well, that's true. So uh, the value is not the content, the value that the instructor, there's a piece of that that's really important. Yeah, you got to be a master of your trade, no question. But the real value is in the relationships we build and the love for the sport that we pass on mm. that creates the in- intrinsic desire to learn. Yeah. And the more teaching moves towards that, and some countries are further along than others, but everybody at Interski recognized the need for that, that it didn't matter what you taught that much. I mean, of course it matters, right? But it, it, that's not the place we need to focus. We need to focus on how do we engage people and, and, and help them fall in love with the sport the same way we did, mm-hmm. knowing that mm-hmm. they can't do it the same way we did it, or they would have already done it. We're going to have to help them find their own individual passion and love for the sport so that it truly is about what they want to do and who they want to be and not whether it's right or wrong. Mm, yeah. And I think you're much more in touch over there with the concept of the client experience than maybe we are over here in Europe. I, I disagree with that. I think that it's, um, um, I don't see one country way, way ahead of another in theory. Yeah. There are some countries that are, that are further ahead. There's been a lot of research done here, but Basie has done quite a bit of research in that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see it depending on, on, and, and, and what somebody loves about, about the sport and what's going to cause them to love it is, is culturally different. I find that each system that's out there for the most part generally matches the culture of the, of the people they're trying to reach. 
Oh, no, that's so it's not like one's better than the other. It's I mean, you look at the ESF and as as uh, the Bayesian and the uh, Bayesian and PSIA are, are, are pretty similar in a lot of ways. There's some stark differences, but there's some similarities. And same with New Zealand. You look at ESF and it's very it's different. It's a different way of looking at things, mm. but it has a huge following within French culture. Yeah. Um, that uh, and you work in that environment much more than I do. But yeah, yeah. my understanding is there's it's very successful in its process for the culture it's trying to reach. Yeah, not for necessarily sure. speaking to a yeah. different culture, and that's the same with the APSI, the Australian system. Yeah. If for me, it's incredibly mechanical. Mm. But when you look at how it reaches the people that it's targeting, it's fantastic. And the people who work in that system, when they come over here, they just shift, and they were they're they're phenomenally well trained uh, trainers and examiners and pros who come to that system. But if they use exactly what came to that system in the U.S., it doesn't work nearly as well as it did when it was in Australia. But if they're versatile and they're trained well, they just make the switch. And how would that manifest itself? How how would how would that look if I'm an American and I'm being taught by a PSIA trained instructor? How how does that well, how does that match your culture? What they do? Um, if the instructor is 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 strong and meets the ideals that we're putting out there, um, the the most important thing they're going to do is get to know the person where they what and and, and what truly motivates them. Uh, digging beyond. The um, the mechanical, I want to get better at this one thing. Okay, that that may be true right this second. Mm-hmm. But if you're my student, that's my gateway to you, not my gateway to your technique. Mm-hmm. My get because what's really going to bring you back is the relationship we create, and that's going to allow you to take take advantage of the total expertise I have, not just the I want to learn how to ski that bump line better or. You know, that that run over there is scaring the crap out of me. I want to figure out how to conquer that or uh, I don't know how to stop those. Mm. Those are I can teach you that in an hour. But the life changing experience that you're going to get through through really becoming part of the mountain environment, that's only going to happen if I use that gateway of that piece that 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 thing you give me to to go deeper and find out your real motivations, who you are as a person, what you want to be, what inspires you, motivates you and take you to places you've never thought of within the mountain environment. And and within that then, that is sort of going back, that, that comes full circle with the, the culture that you're trying to create where you're building a love for the mountain and, and these people come back, right? Building skier numbers in essence. That's exactly it. Mm. No, it's true. This is how we as, as, as pros can influence the industry. We can influence the industry not just by making people better skiers. Yeah, that, that's fine. That, that's that's the very superficial. Mm. We influence the industry by creating lifelong skiers who love it, who want to learn more, who want to who want to develop. Because the more they develop, the more fun they have. Mm. Mm. I mean, the simplest way to say it is one of is our is our old motto in the ski school here, and we still live by it: is better ski and rider, better skier and riders have more fun. No, it's very superficial. Yeah. But they have more fun not because they're better at skiing and riding, but because they can experience the mountain environment in different ways. And the ever challenging, uh, the 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 incremental challenges that can be overcome and release that sense of accomplishment and addictive rush of dopamine that goes with that that keeps them saying, "I have to go back to the mountain environment to find me." I hope you're enjoying 
this uh, this episode that we've got here with John. Um, I know it's only a short one, but uh, but there's so much good stuff about out of it. And he's got you know John really talks quite fast, so there's uh, there's probably the same amount of content as if you had a podcast from me for for an hour and a half, um, which is excellent. Um, here in the in the Swiss Alps, we've had some amazing snow. Um, over the last uh, last two weeks, I mean, I, I was due to take a group to Sasfe on Sunday, and 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 that that was called off because Sasfe had too much snow. Um, the resort was cut off actually until Monday. Um, they had this, you know, something like three meters in some places, um, literally overnight. Um, and I went skiing actually on the uh, on the weekend instead to Verbier. Uh, Verbier was in great condition. You can ski already down to to, to Rouenat, um, and resorts are starting to open up all over the place. So we've had a real, really, really good uh, sort of November snow season uh, so far, which hopefully bodes well for the for the rest of the ski season here in Europe. Um, we're going to carry on now uh, with, with the podcast. Um, there's a little bit more on teaching, um, the general management of how you just share how you run uh, a ski school that is that is that is that big. Um, and then inevitably I do touch on a little technical question on one of my pet topics, which uh, John and I scare a love, uh, um, share a love for, 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 for sort of longer skis. And also, well, that said, uh, thanks to you, um, Head, uh, I'm now skiing on a, um, a slightly shorter ski. So I've gone for the iSpeed Pro um, 180 uh, 18 meter radius ski and I have to say coming to that off the back of a 25 meter radius GS ski which I've been skiing for the last two years um, is is it feels like it turns like a slalom ski even though it's an 18 meter radius ski it's absolutely extraordinary and it really really hooks up um, it's nice and light and I can see that being my sort of go-to teaching ski um, for this year um, had also supplied me with uh, with a 175 iRace Pro which is uh, like a 15 meter radius ski but I'm expecting that to be extremely extremely twitchy I haven't tried it out yet um, but I'm expecting that to be really really twitchy and uh, and I'll probably only use that for training days or, or days where I've got to look really really dynamic so uh, so that's good um, another goal for mine is uh, my new boots um, the head Raptor 140 RS I've managed to make them fit they're comfortable um, and this is going to be a first because I've had the same boot for the last two years um, also ahead um, but it just didn't work properly for me that one and and uh, and so I think we've had to start again and, and this new boot appears at first at first touch to be to be quite comfortable so um, there you go that's my little commercial endorsement for head um, I didn't need to do it but uh, thank you head for for, for doing that, uh, for, for sorting out, I really appreciate that. Um, and yeah, and so on with the podcast. So uh, so John carries on talking uh, a bit more about teaching, and then there's a sort of inevitable talk, uh, te- technical question at the end. So um, enjoy the rest of this. Uh, hopefully, I'll get another interview with John um, further down the line because I'd love to chat to him about a whole bunch of other stuff. And I'm just lining up um, the rest of the autumn series of interviews and, and, and going on into uh, in, into the winter. So I hope there's snow where you are and uh, enjoy yourself and uh, stay safe and I will see you on the next podcast. How do you keep, still on the subject of teaching, how do you then keep that consistency of that message across the whole of the 1200 instructors that you've got <laughs> uh, you don't okay so what people are just like freestyling or uh, is it kind of live, live by the sword die, you, die you, by the sword you do it through you do it through values not through messaging 
Because for this to happen, it has to be truly authentic. I, I don't want to go out. If I went out and was doing some QA, some quality assurance, quality control, and just tagging lessons, mm. and I saw every lesson doing the same thing, and I saw progressions being the same stuff, and I saw the guest interaction being the same, we would have failed. Okay. So your instructors I'm not, have freedom. I'm not interested in consistent messaging. I'm interested in consistent values and consistent quality of experience. But the, one of the consistencies is that every person should have a uniquely memorable, personalized experience, which means that I train, we train pros not to be totally consistent. Yeah, we give them a, a bag of tricks and some tools to work with because that's mm -hmm. what they need. But we give them the autonomy to figure out how to reach the guest. And the biggest tools we try to give them is ways to engage people so that the technical stuff is, is what helps them get there. But what really gets them there is the, is the, is the engagement. Okay. Okay. So within, within the structure, you've got a lot of guys that, that have the freedom to kind of go off at tangents and do whatever. You're not being, you're not being prescriptive in terms of how you, you tell them to teach. That's, that's pretty cool, right? I would imagine that you've got guys there also, guys and girls there from all sorts of different places and systems and, and, yep. and whatever. And, and uh, yeah, we are, we're, we are not like the Borg. We're not going to assimilate them and make their likeness part of ours to make a consistent, um, uh, consistent generic. When we are a complete, we try to be a complete melting pot. Now, look, that's the, you, you'll, you train different levels of people differently. If 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 Joe is a brand new new pro and they've never taught in their life before, we don't have a lot of those. Our turnover is very low. We keep we keep over ninety percent of our staff year over year. Wow, um, that's amazing. And we have people here for forty, fifty years. That's not uncommon. I mean, I've been here twenty one years and I'm still a baby in certain locker rooms. <laughs> you walk into Aspen Mountain locker room and I'm like, I'm not even to the halfway point of this group. Um, but huh. it, you know, what I'm I'm not going to make it person who's been doing this 15 years longer than I have. <laughs> I'm not going to make a person who's been doing this eight years longer than I've been alive, 10 mm. years longer than I've been alive, say, hey, now you have to do it like this. You know what they're going to say to me? It's not very polite. Uh, <laughs> they have a very <laughs> successful career, arguably more successful than mine ever was in teaching because they know what they're doing. I'd more be interested in saying, how have you been so successful and how can we pass those values on to somebody else so they can independently create their own way of doing things? Now, but you get the new person who's never taught before. Yeah, we say, hey, look, here's a template. Follow this until you master it and then grow past it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people have a have at least something to do in every area that's safe, that's meaningful, that gives them a framework to grow in. Um, and then the better they get, the more autonomy they, 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 they achieve. We call it actually, we call it earned autonomy here where, uh, you start off with a little bit of autonomy. Mm -hmm. You have your parameters. Everybody has autonomy, but the parameters are much tighter when you have very low skill mm -hmm. and very low, very low history of responsibility. But the more history of responsibility measured in business growth and, and, and your uh, organizational citizenship and, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, measured in, um, in in skill level, in certification and experience, uh, you, you're, um, you get more and more autonomy to the point of where we really just don't manage our most autonomous people, which is a huge number of, 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 our, of our pros. We don't manage, we, we support. Okay. And how, how are they, let's say, I mean, are they, when they get rebooked and stuff, let's say you've got your most popular guys and they're rebooked 75, 90% of the time. Do they hundred percent of the time, which is yeah. a lot of them. Are they are they running their own their own diaries and they just kind of pop into the office and say, hey, you know, I did this, uh, or, or or does it all come through? I imagine you've got some sort of enormous it's, central it's, booking. It's system. centralized, but they they run their own diary. Uh, for a long time, when I came here, I ran my own diary, 
and I would hand in in the beginning of the season, I'd email it in or something. Here are my lists. Here are my contact information. Please go ahead and put that on my schedule and feel free to feel free to book me any other days. Okay. And then as I got busier out of, out of town with examining and team stuff and things like that, it would be like, okay, here are my days that I'm in town that I'm available. Here's all my bookings. Please put them in. And I put them into the, to go into the office and, and, and work with them. We have deadlines, you know, we got, we're running a business. So there's deadlines that people have to ha- have this stuff done, but that's part of earned autonomy. Part of it is if a pro wants the, the autonomy, they have to have to have to manage their business in a way that we can understand it. But yeah. as long as they do, we're never going to get in the way of that. So like say the Christmas holidays where we all have wait lists and we're all booked out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we require bookings to be in by a certain date. And then if they're not in by a certain date, we assume you're available. And then if you're available, we're going to fill your schedule. Okay. But if, as long as you get it in by a certain date, we know you're not available and you have that, that you have the autonomy to that point. Um, nowadays, we use a different system. Um, we standardize the system so, so our pros can put in um, their bookings directly into the system. They don't okay. have to hand it into the office, and then we can see it. It's an online system that we have that pros manage their own schedule mm-hmm. to certain dates within certain uh, parameters, but they they put in all their own bookings. That's interesting. Okay, and and then so in the, a sense, they run their own diary, but we all have the same diary. Uh, How's that? Now, is there? Here's here's the million dollar question: Is there some sort of seniority list? Yeah, I mean, my small team oh, of, of ten, I know who I fill out first. A new guy, There's, you know, new guy who comes on this year, like he's at the bottom, blah blah blah. But how do you do that with twelve hundred people? There's four mountains. Okay. Um, and in each mountain, there's let's see at Aspen Mountain, it's all one group. At uh, at, uh, at, uh, at Highlands, there's some kids products and some adult products and some private products. At uh, at, uh, at at Highland at, at Buttermilk, there's uh, there's a team of pros who are dedicated to kids, a team that are dedicated to private lessons, a team that's snowboard, a team that's uh, adults, and a team that's six years and under. Mm-hmm. Um, so the priority systems. Some mountains have a priority system, some don't. Aspen Mountain has no written seniority system. Okay. Um, it, but it's all really highly qualified. Everybody's, everybody's it, it's not unlike what you would have in a French ski school where mm-hmm. everybody's full certain above, right? Just yeah. that's, that's what you are. Yeah. Um, so it's, they, they, we don't run on a seniority system there. Um, the same at, at Highlands, a little, it still has, it has a little greater range of certification, but the top is the same as Aspen Mountain. And it does not have a set priority system, but it's a smaller school too. It's about 95 people, 90, 95 people. And High Aspen Mountain is something like 128 or 130. Okay. Then you get to, to Buttermilk, which is about 340, 350 people. Mm-hmm. They have a couple different priority systems based on the business needs, such as the snowboard has a slightly different one than the Alpine side. And the kids six and under has a slightly different one because they have different um, programs there. But that really just goes, if you show up to line up or you go into a group lesson, it's a guideline for how we assign. It's not a, like a serial linear thing where we say, okay, you're number four. So you're going to work before number five. We, we yeah. don't work that way. Okay. It's, it's a guideline to help us get the right match of guest to pro, pro to guest. Okay. And create some equity, and it creates some um, uh, transparency for what a pro has to do to move up in that. For example, extra certifications or multidiscipline things or um, uh, years of experience to a degree, but we don't value that one nearly as much because mm. you know there's a certain certain point at which more years don't help you be better. Yes, yes, yes. Like, that's true. Let's say let's say the value of ten years over eleven years over ten years nominal. The value yeah, of three yeah. years over one year huge. Mm-hmm. Right. 
right? Yeah. There's a point at which you say, okay, that's, that's enough. What I'm really interested in is what are you doing for continuing education? What kind of training have you done? Do you have specialties in freestyle and children in uh, second disciplines in racing? Do you, do you have continuing education, right? How many request hours? What's your, what's your return? Um, what's your return on, if I give you somebody, how often do you bring them back? Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of class averages do you have? How are you handling your paperwork side of things, your professionalism? So those all go into creating a seniority list. Now you go to Snowmaster, 700 people um, who work on that mountain. Yeah, there's there's a, there's a, there's three or four. Uh, I'm getting this wrong. They're in the, they're in a process of redevelopment, but there's three or four different priority systems mm. that are all based on the same values. Overarching, we have a we have a we have a guiding statement that we have out there. It's kind of a value system of of how we how we match uh, guest to pro. And essentially, without getting into the wording, because I don't have it in front of me, but it basically says, regardless of our of our any priority system we create, mm. has the purpose of finding the most perfect match for the pro and the guest. So the, that relationship is going to be spot on. Okay, and it's got to be right for both sides. The guest has to be right for the pro, and the pro has to be right for the guest. It's a, it's an attachment created it means it's a it's a uh, um, it's a reciprocal relationship. And what we're trying to do is set that both parties up for success in future bookings. So that guest will come back because of their relationship with that pro, and that pro will want to come back because of their relationship with that guest. So yeah. any system we create tries to create that, and any any opportunity to to. Any, at managerial discretion, the ability to, to create that result supersedes any system. Mm-hmm. I understand. That's uh, yeah. I try to do that on a much smaller scale than, than, than what you you guys are doing. <laughs> I, I guess you know I you can try to match the client. Any of us in management directors right? would say that that is yeah. our goal. There's nothing new about that. No, um, but it must be. It must we be just, because of the quality of the people we have and the, our values based way of management versus um, uh, a control based way of management. Um, we just uh, formalize. Uh, we formalize that and say, tell people this is how we're going to do it. But that that puts a lot of pressure on those those guys and girls in the in the booking office, right? Because they've got to know everybody, and and how yeah. do they think will will best match? How, how do you do that? How do they know everybody? Um, a lot of alcohol. A lot of like meet and greets. <laughs> yeah, we try to do that. But you know, one of the things we have in all of our management team, um, with the exception of a few, came through the school as pros. Oh, okay. So, like, okay, say in Snowmass, where we've got um, three private lesson assigning coordinators and a private lesson manager, they all were, um, they were all, they're all full certs. They're all full cert pros. They're, yeah. um, some of them are uh, children's, former children's examiners. Some of them are current examiners. Some of them are uh, former examiners in other areas, but they're, they're, they all came through their pro body. So there's, uh, there's a tremendous amount of institutional knowledge. And somebody who would come in from the outside, which is rare, but it happens, has we make sure that they they learn that piece. So that information is passed, and we spend a lot of time trying to understand the business on that side. Even even our, our strictly office people, who really are um, you know our, our management team that does just the reservations, uh, the person who's in charge of that was a pro here starting in 1976 and was one of our most successful private lesson pros until she decided to move into management and now runs all the systems for those, for that side of things. Um, and, uh, like our, our, our person who manages the, 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 the transaction side of things, um, and reservation specialist, she's our, 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 man, our, our management team member who, who handles all the reservations and transactions in Snowmass. Um, her husband's a ski pro here. Mm. Uh, so she's got a long history in the school as well. Um, people don't move into those management roles unless they've been with us typically for a while in one area or another because 
the the need to know not just the pro but the guest as well and the relation understand the relationship between the pro and the guest that we are all here to support i mean that is the goal of us all of us as management is to support the relationship between the pro and the guest and figure out how to make that the, the most successful thing it can be for both parties um it's, you have to know yeah. that to be able to, to to support it it's true that i mean I, I i try to focus on the same thing myself to the almost the detriment of everything else it's like if if you just focus on the quality of the thing that you are delivering, everything else That's should it. take care of itself. That is it. We are an experience-based industry. Yeah. If we support the things that create that experience, which is guest support, it's pro support, yeah. um, it's the it's that it's it's fun, it's making sure both parties are matched perfectly, and it's mm. easy for the pro to create the relationship because the other crap they have to do is taken care of. Yeah. We are going to be a successful business. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Well, um. Just here, I can put a little break in here. But are you? How are we doing for time? Where are you? Are you pressed? Uh, I've got about got about five minutes. Okay, because what I normally do at the end is give you a little little chance to kind of plug yourself or what it is you're doing. But um, I'll ask you one technical question. I know I said I'd focus on teaching. Oh yeah, it's but all here's, good. Here's, here's here's your technical question for you because I've seen a couple of videos of you, um, and it looked to me that you're a, you're also a fan of a longer ski. Um, yep. I saw you actually ripping some moguls on a video somewhere on some 188 30 meter radius, which is yep. a lovely, lovely ski. Women's for sure. World Cup, yep. Um, that's my favorite ski in my quiver, is my 30 meter radius women's ski. That's interesting. Either that or my, my U16 25 meter 184. I like that one a lot too. But yeah. That, I've, GS I've, skis are, are what I lean, lean towards. It's funny because I've been skiing around on a long ski for, for a while now, and um, I've literally just gone to a 180 head high speed pro 18 meter radius. And my God, it turns so fast compared to. Uh... It's fun though. Super fun. <laughs> it's like being a slow ski. ski. I mean, it's, it's, it's not Amazing. a blizzard, but it's a great ski. Yeah, yeah. How come how come you're into long skis? What's your, what's your, what's your deal with that? Um, I find it more comfortable. Yeah. Uh, my pure preference. This is not like one's better than the other. Cause some of my, my favorite skiers in the world ski primarily on slalom skis. Yeah. Um, and I spend a fair amount of time on slalom ski also, but I prefer to make the feeling of taking a longer ski and making it make a tight radius, mm-hmm. a longer turning. Oh, sorry. A longer radius turning ski. So a GS ski trying to make that into a tighter radius. than the feeling of taking a turn, a ski that's made to make a shorter radius and make it into a longer radius. Yeah, because you One just those, feel like you're waiting. I, I'd rather I'd rather not fight the ski pulling into the turn. I'd rather work the ski pushing into the turn. Yeah, it's interesting on this 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 new ski. I t- I t- it might be in the snow. You never know, but it might have been the snow. But I took it at Verbier at the weekend, and it does not it does not want to skid a short turn like like the GS ski did. You know, it just oh, yeah. wants to hook it's, up it's, straight away. There's a lot away. more self-steering that takes over. Yeah. I mean, think, about making a, think about making a, I mean, I love my slalom skis for slalom. When mm. I start doing longer turns on a slalom ski, it, it's it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I have yeah. to I have to take it in some way because the ski just wants to turn. Whereas a GS ski, I can add other mechanics, like rotary mechanics or stronger fore-aft movement to bend the ski more. When I get past mm. work and bend, I can I can add a steering angle to it. Uh and I find it to be more versatile in that sense. And but that's it's that's not an objective statement for everybody. That's just what I find more comfortable. Because when I speak to some of my closest friends, who I work with in Rookie Academy, you know, like JF, yeah. you or um, or Riley, uh, Riley skis on everything. But uh, you know, JF, 
prefers the exact opposite. He loves the feel of a slalom ski, and the guy he, he's one of the best skiers I've ever seen. Mm. So it's not like it's there's a right or wrong to this one. It's a total personal preference. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, well, I can tell you when I move between slalom and GS, even onto a super G ski, sometimes when I make those changes on pretty much a narrow ways to ski but radius, um, it really helps me if I to change regularly, like a few days a week on each. What it, it really helps me become a more versatile skier because it helps me become more adaptable to four aft movements and rotational input, um, and it makes those those sort of adaptations become uh, innate and automatic as opposed to conscious. So yeah. I find a lot of value in, in switching back and forth. Yeah, I understand. I understand that. All right. Well, look, look. I know you're you're pressed for time, so we'll keep this one short. Maybe we can do a follow up one another time for sure. I'd um, love to. If people want to want to find you for whatever reason, um, they're, they're interested in, in, in what you do. Where can um, where can people kind of get in touch? Um, well, you can find me uh, through Aspen Snowmass uh, through the school here. Um, the easiest way to reach me is typically you know Facebook Messenger. Um, my profile on Facebook is very easy to find. Mm-hmm. It's just my name, Jonathan Blue, um, or on YouTube, uh, Jonathan Blue is my channel title. Uh, and I respond to messages in both areas. But people are welcome to contact me or find my, my social feeds and um, look me up if you're in Aspen. All right. Terrific. All right. Well, I'm going to leave you to your uh, series of afternoon meetings. I don't um, <laughs> I don't envy you. I'm, uh, I don't do meetings anymore. And uh, um, that's one of the joys of working for yourself, which is uh, which is great. But uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I'll I've leave got, you. I've, I've got the joys of middle management is uh, <laughs> is, is, uh, is, is, uh, is, is meetings. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to do, you got to do. That's understandable. But uh, look, have, uh, you have a great day. Thank you so much for, for being part of the podcast. And, and hopefully we can uh, we can get you on again soon. Thank you very much. All right, John. Thank you.